discussing the story of Joseph. And we have a special guest. Let me introduce you to kidnapper Casey. Hello, Dangerous Dan and Shameless Sharona. It is so good to see you both. Likewise, nice to meet you. That's a very interesting nickname you've got there. Oh, I know, right? I was accused of kidnapping a minor back in the 90s, you know, when it was still cool. Thankfully, my lawyer, Robert, was able to convince the jury that it was a little misunderstanding. I didn't kidnap the kid. He just so happened to break into my house while I was away, leaving his neglectful parents to stay in my basement for a couple of months. Honestly, it could happen to anyone. Anyways, I thought that the nickname that the media gave me had such a ring to it, so I decided to keep it, you know, for laughs and giggles. Yep, you always had such a good sense of humor, Casey. Oh, thank you. For those of you that don't know, I met Casey at the local city council meeting for prison reform. That's right, we are both fighting to abolish prisons, because we believe that everyone deserves a second chance. All of that right. Anyway, she is here on the show tonight because Casey became an expert on all things kidnapping after the little accident with the little boy in her basement. And today she's going to help us figure out just how professional was Joseph's kidnapping. Wait, what? Oh, well, for those that don't know the story, basically little Joseph was daddy's favorite child, you know, because he was the youngest. And because of that, he was spoiled by his daddy and that made all of his other brothers jealous of him. However, the brothers got their revenge by kidnapping and selling him off to slavery. Uh, being an older brother myself, I am really disappointed in Joseph's brothers. They should have just killed him in the first place. Selling him to slavery is not manly. They would have been more famous like Cain if they just killed him like they originally planned. Oh, yeah, but if they killed him, we wouldn't get that wonderful story of how they reunite in the end and come back and forgive and love one another. Oh, well, yes, of course. I'm sure that Joseph also appreciated how ingenious his brother's plan was. They seized the moment when Joseph was isolated and far away from anyone else, and they even planted evidence by faking his coat and drenching it in, coat, in goat's blood. And their father never figured it out. A classic way of kidnapping. And Joseph probably deserved it. He was being all annoying with his, you know, weird dreams, with his upright bundle of wheat while making fun of his brother's, you know, droopy wheat. He had what was coming to him. Yeah, but even so, being annoyed doesn't mean you deserve to be kidnapped and sold into slavery or killed. The brothers are so cruel to the youngest brother and their own father. Well, okay, that's just like your opinion. And here on the Bi Dangerous Bible Tongue Show, we welcome all sorts of interpretations of the Bible. And if you're interested in sharing your opinion on the scriptures, please feel free to call us. Unfortunately, we are all out of time. Oh, I'm not finished. No, but talking. come back next week to learn more about the Bible and how it can help you live your best life now. It was a pleasure talking with you, Casey. Oh, well, yes. Thank you for having me on your show. It was a real All right. Thank you, uh, Dangerous Dan. That was very informative, was it not? To whet our appetites for the story of Joseph. <laughs> Thank you, Dangerous Dan, for putting that together. Um, and hopefully that gives us a little preview of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so let me share uh, <laughs> the actual PowerPoint. Uh, give me a moment to... Uh, Get everything situated. 
All right, let me share my screen. And now let's jump into the PowerPoints. All right, hopefully I should see that. Uh, whoops, move out of the way. One more moment. All right. So this is the first sermon in the life of Joseph. Joseph, King of Dreams. Have you ever asked the question to yourself, God, uh, where are you? God, where are you? Life isn't fair. Why is there so much evil in today's world? If you ever ask yourself that question, when things don't go your way, when you feel the rug pulled out from under you, then the story of Joseph will be very relevant to your life right now. Because for Joseph, there's so much evil in his life, and he could have easily asked the question, God, where are you? If you truly exist, why is there so much evil in my life? Why didn't he do anything? Why doesn't God intervene in Joseph's life when he needed him the most? And maybe for some of you, you're also asking a similar question. And so I decided this to go through the life of Joseph because I feel like there's so much that we can unpack in here. It's a story. Joseph, he's 17 years old. That's very close to some of your guys' age. Um, there's a lot of, um, uh, I guess, family problems in his life. And we know that no family is perfect, especially during quarantine. Uh, they had a famine. We have COVID, natural disaster. So in some sense, I feel there's a lot we can really relate with a Joseph story and ask the common question, God, where are you? So before we even jump into the passage, I want to give you a little, I guess, rundown of what Joseph, the life of Joseph, what book it takes place in, uh, which is the book of Genesis. All right, that's the first book of the Bible. Um, and Genesis was written by Moses and it's a book about beginnings, uh, the beginning of the universe, mankind. Uh, sin, and how God intends to rescue humanity and bless the nations. And he does this through a man named Abraham, who has a son named Isaac, uh, who has a son named Jacob, who has 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. And that's the life uh, we're going to study. Um, this will be a very different type of sermon series because uh, last year we kind of went through James. And James is a lot of commands, imperatives, uh, watch your tongue, uh, things like that. But this is more a narrative. It tells an actual story with real people, uh, families, friends, and circumstances. So you won't get you won't get as much direct um, like commands like flee from temptation. You'll see stories of people, real historical accounts, and we're going to draw the theological insights from these things. And so, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard about the life of Joseph before. Uh, but my prayer is that we can hear it with fresh eyes. And live it out with transformed hearts. So here's my preview for today. It's very simple. You probably don't even need to write this down, but I'm just going to go through the first chapter of his life of Joseph. And then afterwards, I'm going to draw out theological insights and application. So uh, pretty simple. And I hope this gives us a, a framework uh, going forward to understand where I'm going with things. Uh, there are some things to keep in mind when we're interpreting biblical narrative. Uh, I want to give two. Um, the first one is this, that God is the main character. 
Yes, it's the life of Joseph, but remember, God is the hero of the Bible. Joseph is not the hero of the Bible. Yes, God intervenes and interacts in the life of Joseph, but God is the main character. We shouldn't get that mixed up. So human, human characters are important, but they're not always a moral example. We shouldn't um, live our lives thinking we want to be like Joseph. We want to be like David. Yes, there's good things about them, but we have to remember God is the main character. Uh, secondly, when we do read about the life of Joseph, we have to understand that human characters, they're primarily developed through their actions and their words, and not necessarily the narrator's uh, description. So when we read the life of Joseph, when you hear dialogue, when you see action, I want you to pay attention to that because that's what the narrator is trying to form the human characters. Now, every now and then the author will describe um, what a character looks like. For example, in Saul, he might describe him as being a head taller than the rest of the men of Israel. That's when you want to pay attention to that because that doesn't happen as much. But uh, we want to focus on a dialogue and, um, and actions. That's what's really going to help us understand um, the characters of, of the Joseph story. So hopefully this gives you just two uh, simple points. I'll probably give more in the coming weeks. But uh, if you have our Bibles, please turn now to Genesis chapter 37. I don't have any of the passages on this PowerPoint. Uh, for one, there's a lot of verses to go over, and I didn't want to just crowd the PowerPoint. And number two, it's good for you to open up your Bible for your own, to be able to flip uh, for your own, whether uh, pa paper or, um, or through digital. But paper is always nice to flip through, and there's no notification. So I'll give you a moment now to turn to Genesis 37. Genesis, first book of the Bible, so pretty simple to find in chapter 37. We're going to see the story, the beginnings of Joseph. And I'll take it apart uh, piece by piece. All right, so I'm going to start reading from verses 1 to 4. So um, let's do this. Verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, and just means Jacob in the story, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. All right, let's stop there for now, and then we'll unpack this for a bit. So this is, in a sense, uh, the family of Jacob. And if you look at the preceding uh, or the chapter right before, it's talking about the generations of Jacob. Um, and when we think of the family of Abraham, we think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Maybe you have a positive image in your head of them because uh, we sing songs in children's worship. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them, and so are you. And so maybe we assume, oh, they're just you know a biblical family, and they're you know they're probably like the model family. 
but it's actually quite the opposite. They weren't a perfect family at all. Let me show you a family tree of Abraham. Okay. So this is the family tree. It's a lot. Um, so don't be alarmed. Um, let me just get. So don't be alarmed by uh, all these families, but there in this family, there's a lot of a deception and there's a lot of favoritism in this family. So we start off first with Abraham. He's right here. And we know Abraham and Sarah. And we see deception already because there's an account when Abraham lied about Sarah calling her his sister because they're in the presence of, um, of a king, of a prince, and he didn't want to get in trouble. He wanted to protect his own hide. Um, but then we see favoritism happen um, later on. So Abraham and Sarah, they have a kid named Isaac, and then Isaac marries Rebecca, and you know of Isaac, Rebecca, and their sons Jacob and Esau. Remember, Isaac's he favored um, Esau, the skillful hunter. We see that in Genesis 27, and then we know that Rebecca she favored Jacob because he was more of like a quiet man who stayed indoors. Um, and we see a lot of deception because you know how they kind of trick the parents. Isaac gets kind of old. And he needs to give the blessing. And so uh, Rebecca schemes with Jacob to put on goat skins on his arms and neck to deceive his dad, Isaac, to make him think that he's a skilled hunter like Esau. So uh, it's deception right then and there. Uh, and then things kind of blow up in the family and Jacob runs away and he meets the love of his life, Rachel, um, who he has to work seven years in order to marry. Uh, but then his uncle Laban, he tricks Jacob, um, and it's actually after seven years of working for him, it's actually Leah that he marries. So Jacob kind of gets a taste of his own medicine, and so you see deception again. Um, and so eventually, Jacob works another 70 years, and then he gets to marry Rachel. But even then, he loves Rachel more than Leah. There's favoritism in the family. So you see that theme again, favoritism and deception. And so Jacob, basically, he has 12 kids uh, with Leah, with Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah. These two are uh, servants to Leah and Rachel, and they have 12 of these kids. And Joseph is the one that uh, we focus on for today, though his brothers matter as well. And it's kind of interesting. They have a daughter named uh, Dina or Dinah. I never really paid attention to that before. And so in a lot of ways, we see that uh, Joseph, he is... Uh, the golden child, because at this point in uh, chapter 37, Rachel has already passed away. She passes away by give, while giving birth to uh, Benjamin, the, the younger son of Joseph or younger brother of Joseph. So you can imagine every time Jacob sees Joseph, he's reminded of the woman he truly loves, Rachel. And so we see in this initial passage in uh, Genesis 37 that Joseph, he comes from a broken family. He comes from a divided family with a lot of favoritism, a lot of deception, and he's 17 years old. Maybe some of you are 17 years old, and uh, we see that uh, so the first thing that the, the narrator describes about Joseph, his actions in verse 2, is that he brought a bad report about his brothers. So we know that he's a tattletale. Maybe you know one in your family. Maybe one of your siblings is a tattletale. That was a, my younger brother. Don't tell him I said that. Um, but not only was he a tattletale, he got gifts from his dad, 
that his other brothers did not receive, which was a coat of many colors, a robe of many colors. When I was younger, uh, my dad gave me a gift, I think for Christmas, that he didn't give my other brothers. I mean, it didn't spark like controversy, but looking back, I was like, wow, I was the only person who got this. And he got me a yellow toy robot. Um, it looked like a really knockoff robot from like, I don't know, 168 Market. It was just like very, not very well made, but I, I treasured that robot because I thought, wow, he he really loves me. Like, why, why did I get this robot? Um, and so, but... Uh, Fortunately for me, it didn't really divide my brothers and I, but for Joseph in another extreme way, it did. His brothers hated that he had a robe. And this past week, one thing that I did to help me engage with the Joseph story more was I actually drew out scenes from the Joseph story. And um, I'm not the best artist, but hopefully this helps you engage a bit, <laughs> a little bit. So this is the first scene I drew of Joseph just showing off his robe. So, uh, well, we have, actually, okay, not yet. This is uh, Jacob's family, so yada, yada, yada. Uh, Leah, remember these are the servants, Zilpah, Rachel, or, or Bilhah. Um, There's another diagram, forgot about that. All right, the next slide is the picture. All right, so you have uh, Joseph in the middle. This is on Paint 3D, and you have his brothers all around him. He's like, yo, check out this robe. Dad made it for me. And this is probably, I don't know, Reuben, the oldest brother. That's an ugly robe. That is so not it, <laughs> as you guys like to say. <laughs> and we see here that Jacob is the favorite, or Joseph is the favorite son. And as I explained the background, it doesn't justify what Father Jacob did, but you can understand a bit more. This is why he loves Joseph so much, because maybe every time he looked into the eyes of his son, uh, Joseph. It reminds him of the eyes of the love of his life, Rachel, who's no longer with him. And so you can maybe understand why he gave uh, um, special treatment. Now, this, this story doesn't really get better for a long time. In fact, it gets worse. Um, if you look at verse, verse four, we see that uh, the narrative concludes by saying, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So first strike, the brothers hate him. They probably hate him before, but for sure they hate him now. Let's see what happens next. Joseph is going to have some interesting dreams that, again, anger his brothers. Let's read the next chunk in verses uh, 5 to 11. All right. Now, Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the fields. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I, your, shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed 
come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. All right, so if you notice, after each dream, the narrator summarizes the responses of the brother that they hate him even more. In uh, verse 8, at the end of verse 8, the final sentence, it says, so they hated him even more for his dreams. And the verse 11, after the second dream, he, the narrator notes that the brothers were jealous of him. So here's my second drawing of Joseph and his two dreams uh, right over here. So there's an old naive Joseph. Guys, you won't believe what I dreamed last night. And he shares about his first dream. Dude, I was a sheaf and I was standing straight up. And I mean, you guys are sheaves, but you're bound down to me. and not sure what that means. And uh, deep down, he's not dumb. He's not five years old. He's 17 years old. And then his second dream, not only in his brothers, but the sun and the moon, likely referring to his parents or the entire family unit, all of these people bow down to him. Now, back then, the reason dreams are so offensive is to even mention a dream like this. It's almost to, to claim a divine decree, almost to say God is going to make this happen, that God is going to command this to happen. That's why dreams are so, um, that's why it angered him. It's not necessarily like the dreams we have right now when we see random raccoons, um, I don't know, running up slides or whatever, just random things. The brothers interpreted this as uh, Joseph truly believing they would rule over him, and that angered them. And so you can understand the anger boiling in the brothers. Not only is he the favorite child, but now he wants to rule over us. He's not even the oldest. He's uh, the youngest, except for Benjamin. Uh, Reuben, he's the oldest. And you have to remember, like Joseph, he's not like some five-year-old talking to his older brothers like, Hey, brother, guess what dream I had last night? He, he's not some cute, innocent kid. He's, he's 17 years old. He, he kind of knows what he's doing. And some commentators describe him as a bit arrogant, uh, a little showboaty when he, as a young, young, young guy, uh, tooting his own horn. So you can imagine there's a lot of uh, Joseph being picked on by his brothers. They, a lot of times they butted heads. They, they didn't like one another. And so this boils to the point, it's three strikes, and this causes the brothers to devise a plan to uh, get rid of him. And so let's see uh, what happens next. Let's read the next portion of verses 12 to 17. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, and he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone, they have gone away for I've heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So his brothers are out there in the boonies in Shechem or Dothan. Now, when we see the word Shechem, we might not think of anything at first, but it's very odd for them to even uh, be considered near the area of Shechem. 
remember when I said that Joseph and his brothers, they have a sister named uh, Dina or Dinah. Uh, remember uh, right here, right? This is uh, the, the sister that's, um, that's identified. So something happens to her. Uh, we, won't, we don't go through it. It's in chapter 34, but I'll just summarize it. Basically, the prince of Shechem sees Dina and he forces himself upon her, essentially uh, raping their sister. And so, of course, any brother would be furious and so um, that, their, that their sister is assaulted in this way. So what two of their brothers did, Simeon and Levi, they take their swords and they slaughter every male in the city of Shechem. And they plunder the city. They take their flocks and their herds, their wealth, everything. So the family of Jacob, they have a history with Shechem. They do not like one another. So it's odd for them to even be out in near the area of Shechem. So if you're, if you're an original audience, you would think, whoa, that, that's trouble. Why, why is Joseph going out to that area? He, he's in big trouble. As it turns out, the brothers, they're not there in Shechem. They're, they're in actually in Dothan, which is another 16 to 20 miles away. But I share that piece of background because I want you to understand what the brothers are capable of doing. They are capable of murder. They, they are capable of acting out of strong emotion. And so now as Joseph approaches his brothers at Dothan, the same anger will now be directed at him as he approaches them. So let's see what happens in, moving on to the next section in verses 18 to, uh, to 20. So they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. All right, so here's my uh, next picture that kind of depicts what, what happens. So this is Joseph from far away. There you guys are. And then uh, this guy in the middle. Get them, boys. And so this thing, it's not a black hole. It's a, it's a pit that will you'll see for a later purpose. I'm sure you guys already know. And they recognize him from afar. The text says that they recognize him from afar. And likely it's because he was wearing his robe, which is uh, that, that's some nerve for Joseph to wear the robe, knowing that how his brothers would feel. And so the brothers, they see him from afar and they have this mob mentality. Like, check this guy out. He's even wearing that robe. You know how much um, that material costs? Like, why do we get hand-me-downs from places like Costco or, or Walmart, but he gets the high roller stuff, the handmade stuff? He just makes everything worse around here. And he really thinks he's going to roll over us. You can imagine just the blood boiling and finally getting to the point, maybe some of them said, just artistic uh, imagination, you know what? We got rid of the people at Shechem. We got rid of our troubles and life got better. Why not get rid of Joseph? Why not get rid of him? We can just, um, our father's getting old. We can just, uh, you know, kill him, throw him in the dirt patch, throw him in the, in the ditch, I mean, uh, and cover his coat with, with blood. That'll convince our dad. And then life goes on as normal. And surprisingly, one older brother has a reservation. And it's this guy right here, uh, Reuben, the oldest brother. I kind of try to draw his expression like, um, I don't know about this, guys. So let's see in verses 21 to 24 uh, what Reuben is thinking. Verse 21 says, but when Reuben heard it, 
he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. Verse 24, and then they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. All right, let's, let's stop there. Now, this is a bit surprising. If you were an original audience, you might have a glimmer of hope at this point because you think, oh, there's a good brother. There's Reuben. This guy, he, he has compassion. He, he doesn't want to slaughter his brother, thankfully. He, he offers an alternative, just throw him in the pit. And then he says to himself, okay, throw him in the pit. And then uh, when the brothers aren't looking or when they're, you know, shepherding the flock elsewhere, I'll rescue him. And then we'll just, um, we'll, we'll figure things out. We'll, we'll, we'll forgive one another. We'll just make sure he doesn't die. Not, not on my hands. Maybe we'll get roughed up, but things will go back to normal. And so this is what Reuben is hoping for. And if you're reading the story for the first time, you think, okay, he'll be back in his father's arms uh, soon and shortly, but that's not really what happens. So let's see what happens next. This plan is kind of wrinkled um, by the other brother, Judah. So let's read verses 25 to uh, 28. Then they sat down to eat, which is pretty cruel to do. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our own brother, our own flesh and his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Let's stop there. Um, so you'll probably see some terms changing like Midianites and Ishmaelites. They're essentially the same, the same people. Um, but what I want us to focus on is now this character Judah emerges to, uh, to the scene. And Judah is a very important character in the story of Joseph. You're going to see him, his character arc change a lot throughout the story of Joseph. So I want you to pay attention to Judah. So I drew a picture of him. Um, here, right here, uh, sneaky Judah. I try to give him more detail because I really want us to remember Judah throughout the rest of uh, the story. He comes with this plan. Hey guys, let's not kill him. That's a little too harsh. Let's let's sell him. At least we'll make uh, 20 shekels of silver. Um, that's about a typical price for a slave back then. When I think of Judah, the, the character that comes to mind to me is Loki from the Avengers. Like when you see Loki at first, he's really annoying. He's the bad guy. But over time, you see his character develop and you're like, oh, interesting. And when I think of Judah, after when I read through the entire Joseph narrative, I had a similar thought. Wow, Judah is, very, is changing a lot, but he comes off as a very greedy scoundrel at first. So I, I want us to pay attention to Judah as uh, the story of Joseph progresses. And so uh, Judah here suggests, let's sell him instead uh, to the Ishmaelites. Now, if you know your Old Testament history, your ears might perk up at, the, at the, these Ishmaelites. 
Um, let me see uh, if I have, oh, I do have it. So remember Abraham and Sarah, the, the, um, the original grandpa and grandpa, Abraham actually had another son, Ishmael, with uh, Sarah's servant Hagar, or Hagar, I don't know how you pronounce it. And it's a little poetic irony because uh, there was rivalry between Isaac and Ishmael, but more so between the parents. Actually, at one point, Sarah tries to convince Abraham, hey, let's get rid of Hagar. Um, we want the first blessing to go to Isaac, not to Ishmael. I mean, this is our blood. Uh, this is our own blood, Isaac. And so it's just a lot of irony that um, sibling rivalry, um, family brokenness, is, it shows up even in the Joseph story, and they're the ones who purchase Joseph here. Um, but Reuben, Judah, the rest of the brothers, they don't know it. But it kind of shows that this family, it's broken. All right. Um, so basically, Joseph gets sold. And for some reason, Reuben, he's not there when it happens. He's off doing something else. And when he returns and he finds Joseph gone, his heart is crushed. Let's look at 29 and 30. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. And I, where shall I go? Reuben, remember, he is the oldest brother. He fails to take leadership, while Judah, who is the fourth oldest son, he kind of takes charge of things. He is able to convince and influence the rest of his brothers when Reuben could not. And so they have nothing left to do but to return to their dad, Jacob, and execute the final step of their plan in deceiving him. So let's now read verses 31 to 35. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And he sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Verse 35, all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus, his father wept for him. So here now I have a, a picture of Jacob mourning as he sees his son's robes. I try to give his face more... Uh, uh, more detail. Um, and it's a very traumatizing event for, for Jacob. Remember the love of his life, Rachel is dead. And now the son of the love of his life, Joseph is now dead. His worst nightmare has come to life. And he knows the instant that he sees that robe, he knows that's Joseph's robes. I, I remember giving it to him. And then he tears his, his robes. He tears his uh, clothing, which is a traditional way of mourning. And he says, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Um, and Sheol means the afterlife. So he basically says that his sorrow will continue into the afterlife. And this is very extreme because back then, if somebody you love died, there would be a period of mourning. It'd probably be around like 30 days of um, just grieving the death of a loved one. But for uh, for Jacob, he says, no, there is no limit to my, 
my grief. It will continue until I see my son in the afterlife. And so the plan is complete. The brothers succeed. Joseph is sold off into Egypt and his father, Jacob, believes it all. And so their plan is wildly successful. And so where is Joseph taken off to? Well, let's look at our final verse for today, verse 36, which says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So he takes off and he goes to Egypt. Here's my final picture for today. We see Joseph on his way to Egypt in a U-Haul truck. That's just <laughs> artistic license. Um, they didn't exist back then. So if you're reading this for the first time, you'd be thinking, how is Joseph ever going to be reunited with his family? He's being taken farther and farther away into foreign territory. And you kind of notice this is the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read any more verses. And there's no resolution. No hero swings in to save the day. Joseph doesn't punch his way out of the U-Haul truck and sprint back home and tattle on his brothers again. But that'd be a fun episode of how it should have ended. Uh, but nothing happens. Joseph is just being dragged off into Egypt. The story, at first glance, seems to get worse and worse and worse. And if you're reading, reading this for the first time, you have to ask yourself the same question, God, where are you? God, there's so much evil. Joseph, yeah, maybe he's a brat for sharing these dreams publicly. He probably should have just kept it to himself or shared with his dad. But did he deserve to be sold into slavery? Did he deserve the anger and hatred of his brothers? And maybe you're thinking, God, if you truly cared, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you uh, speak to Reuben and tell him to hurry back to his brothers and um, prevent them from selling Joseph? Like, if you're powerful enough, God, why didn't you do that? Why would you allow this evil to happen? God, aren't you strong enough? Don't you care? Now, as the reader and as someone who uh, has read the Joseph story before, you have uh, an all-knowing perspective. You already know the end. You know that this, there's evil now. But you also know that God in the end is going to bring up, use evil to bring about his good. You know that God can use the greatest evil to bring about his good and glorious purpose. Let me repeat that again. God can use the greatest evil to bring about his good and glorious purpose. There is no way that Joseph would have known that God would use this uh, evil in his life for his good. There was no one to tell Joseph, hey, Joseph, I know you're in the back of a caravan right now. I know you're going off to be a slave right now. I know you just got owned, Joseph. I know you hate your own life, but God is going to use this evil to save not only your family, but all families around here because there's a famine coming. There was no one there to tell Joseph that. Joseph didn't have the whole picture. But we, as the reader who's read the story, we have the full picture, and we know that God is working behind the scenes. So I actually want us, if you have your Bibles, I want us to turn to the very last chapter of the Joseph narrative. I want us to see what I think is the theme verse of the story of Joseph. So let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 50. So just uh, the very last 
chapter of Genesis. This is when things get reconciled, family reunion. Joseph makes a statement. He reflects on what happened in his life, and he makes this statement, which is a summarizing statement, I think, of the story of Joseph. So let's look at Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It says, this is Joseph talking to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This tells us something about God. They sometimes say that the master painter or the master artist can make art with any brush. And I think in the highest way, God can bring about his great purpose through any evil act, even something as evil as Joseph being betrayed and sold by his brother. God will use any evil act for his good. And let's expand and step back from uh, a larger scale. Isn't that the gospel message? What is the most evil act in human history? It's not a war. It's not World War II. It's not the Holocaust. The greatest evil in human history is the death of the perfect son of God, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That is the greatest evil in history. But God uses the greatest evil to bring about the greatest good in human history, which is salvation, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, you and I, for all who believe. Imagine that. God uses the the greatest evil to bring about the greatest good. Uh, In Acts 2, uh, 36, Peter speaking, he says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Jesus, Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If God can take the greatest evil in history and use it to bring about the greatest good, namely the gospel. And if God can do that in the life of Joseph, he can surely do that in your life and in my life. Every pain and sorrow and grief and death and disappointment in our life, God is using that to mold us, to sanctify us for his good purpose. I wouldn't say I had a lot of evils happen in my life, Um, and the example I'm going to share, I wouldn't really say it's a hundred percent evil, but it was definitely a huge frustration. Uh, My senior year in high school, I was applying to college like many of you seniors right now. And I had high dreams. I had colleges I wanted to go to. I wanted to get into UCLA, UCSD, uh, all these things. I, I wanted that prestige of, um, my name and this university under like my Facebook profile, Um, So I had high dreams, but I had a low GPA, and that just doesn't work out um, when those things collide. The only UC I got into was a UC Merced out in the middle of nowhere, and I got accepted to APU, a no-name college that my mom made me apply to because they waived the application fee. You know how that goes, seniors. Uh, And I got into Long Beach, but it was back then it was kind of like the college that everyone got into if you went to a certain high school. It might not be like that uh, nowadays. And I was pretty disappointed. I didn't get into my top one or two colleges. 
or three colleges. I went to my third or fourth choice college and I just felt like I'm not smart. I'm just an average guy going to this average school that no one ever heard of. I have no idea what I want, what I want to major in. It's not really an evil. It's not a murder, but I don't really care for my path right now. But looking back now, and this is about uh, 2010 was my first year of college. Um, so looking back, I guess, 10 to seven to 10 years, God uses, I'm going to use quote unquote evil because it's not necessarily like an evil, but it was a frustration. I could probably see it as evil back then, but God brought about his good purpose. If I don't go to APU, my third or fourth choice college, I may not have been led into my path of ministry to be a pastor. If I don't go to APU, for sure, I would not end up at Walnut because I would just, uh, I was just looking for a, a local college church and APU is only about 15 minutes away from, from Walnut. If I don't go to APU, I don't go to Walnut and then I don't meet my wife, Vanessa. I don't meet you guys. I don't meet uh, some of the closest friends in my life. I don't get to live in this awesome apartment in Diamond Bar, which I, I really love. All these things happen because of a third or fourth choice college. And back then, I didn't have the perspective to see that, but I'm not God. God saw what, what he saw, but what I could not saw, what, what, I, what I could not see, that my third or, fourth, third or fourth choice college led me to his good purpose. I wouldn't have known that. So let me ask you guys, do you have an evil in your life? Is there an unwanted circumstance? Do you have like a nagging injury, a broken relationship with a friend, a broken family relationship, a death in the family? And I want you to ask yourself, what if God is doing something with the evil in your life to bring about good in the big picture? It might be five years down the line. It might be 10 years down the line. It might be 50, or maybe <clears throat> you might not even see the good in your lifetime, but it's your grandchildren who will see this good. It's not up to us to see the good in our life. We don't have omniscience. We're not all knowing. And so in this story of Joseph, when we ask the question, God, where are you? The answer to that question is God is here. God is doing something that we may not be able to see. And we can't control things in life, but we can trust God who does have control over all things in life. And so as the story unfolds in the future weeks, I want us to keep this in mind. So here's my big idea for today. God hates evil, but he can use any evil to bring about his good and glorious purpose. Very simple, all right? God hates evil. Um, God hates sin. God hates everything that opposes his law. But even when there is sin, he can use all, any and all sin to bring about his good and glorious purpose. And so as you guys re-enter everyday life, as you see the evil in your life, as you see the pain, the sorrow, the loneliness, the frustration, the obstacles, I hope you view evil with a new lens. I think life of Joseph teaches us that it's not just life isn't fair. Yes, sometimes life isn't fair, but God is still, is still in control. God is still sovereign. God still is in the driver's seat. 
he sees the evil in your life and he says, I can work with that. I can work with that. And he is hard at work fashioning and crafting the evil and obstacles in our life to bring about his good purpose. If we don't understand it, let's trust in the one who does and uses evil for his good. Let me pray for us, and then we will go into small groups. Lord, I uh, thank you so much for the story of Joseph. It's not a children's story. I mean, yeah, we tell it to kids, but it's an actual real story. It is a historical account of you forming your people of Israel. And the same God thousands of years ago is the same God right now in our midst. Help us to trust you, Lord. May our small group discussion be fruitful. And um, yeah, Lord, we are grateful for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, before I dismiss you guys to breakout rooms, uh, I need your guys' help with something. Um, you know how I um, had some drawings for my PowerPoint. Well, I want to give you guys the opportunity to contribute your own drawings as well. So, because I can't draw every single week. So let me put a form in the chat. If you want to contribute a drawing to the PowerPoint, fill out that form and I'll assign you a scene. And uh, yeah, um, you can contribute something. I'd love to see your artistic skill. I know there's a lot, um, a lot of artists out there. Um, I know it's kind of hard to top uh, what you saw today, <laughs> but uh, let, let, let's see you try. Um, so that, that's uh, for those artists out there. All right, um, I think for now, um, yeah, we can go into breakout rooms. So um, Jeremy, if whenever, is Jeremy? Yeah, Jeremy is the host. All right, whenever you're ready, Jeremy. Okay, just open the rooms. What happened? I saw uh, in the breakout room, there's like a timer for like four minutes counting down. I don't oh. know. Do you see that in there? Let me see. I might have. Oh, I see. Okay. I, okay. I, I tried to recover to the past rooms, but I guess that there is a setting. Oh, okay. Is there a way? There might be a way to. I don't know if there's a way to do it in the thing, though. That's kind of annoying. Okay. Um, 
have everyone come back. Yeah, you can probably just reset it or close all rooms. Um, yeah, the sorry, break, I didn't notice that. Yeah, me neither. I think it was the first time I saw that happen. Okay. Um, all right, well, back to the... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, friend. <laughs> we'll have to read you. Um, yeah. Is there an option, though, to, like, recover to pre-assigned breakout rooms? Uh, I think I have to recover and then uncheck the box that says a timer. But I thought... Okay. Yeah, I don't know. And maybe the the account that used the breakout rooms before set a timer. That's probably why. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. Not sure why. Well, it's not your fault. I wasn't paying attention to you. Yeah. I was too distracted by your your awesome drawing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my excuse why everyone has to come back so they can uh, hear more about your thought process. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeremy, you an artist? <laughs> I am not. I am a potato. Yeah. All right. Once everyone comes back, then we can reset, and I will make sure that there is no time limit. No problem. All right. Okay. Here we are. So recreate. Okay, guys. Jeremy doesn't often make mistakes. He's, he's <laughs> a perfect man. Oh. Right, so breakout rooms. Okay. Do not automatically close. Oh, okay. I should just check out, uh, not check the countdown either. So when I can close it later, then it just automatically closes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So now I think it should be good. Sorry, everyone. Thanks, Probably. Jerry. No worries. So you can compliment Kevin's drawings again. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's artists out there. Let's see some of that artwork. <laughs> Kevin. Hey, Nate. 
What room? Uh, what room are you? Am I gonna put you in? Oh, okay. There we go. Hey, okay. I'm in room twelve. Uh, twelve, great guys. Okay. 